And we've actually got a, uh, we've got a new series starting today uh, called Pride and Prejudice. So I'm always excited about this stuff because then we kind of get to see what's God been placing on the inside of Dave to sort of bring in here. So, man, it's just awesome. Um, hey, I just want us to put our hands together for Pastor Dave as he comes. It's cool. It is a truth, universal tune must be in want of a wife. So begins one of the greatest novels in English literature, Pride and Prejudice. And if you didn't know, that's the, that, that music is the, uh, is the theme song to the BBC version, uh, which many of you will have watched. I have watched a couple of times. I am a closet Austin fan. Uh, and uh, confess to my church uh, that I like period drama. That's okay. I'm all right with that. Uh, I'm secure in my manhood. Um, but today we begin a new series. Yeah, as Richie says, Pride and Prejudices. And uh, it's a catchy title, and uh, I joke around with it just to lull you into kind of a state so that we can smack you in the face with the truth that actually we all struggle with pride in our lives. And it's actually something we need to deal with. Um, and while I won't be speaking from the Holy Scriptures of Jane Austen, I think there are some definite lessons uh, from that not-so-sacred text. And uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, there's going to be plot spoilers. But I think most of you probably know this already, so I'm not, I'm not going to be too apologetic. Uh, I'm just going to break it to you right now. Miss Elizabeth Bennet and Mr. Darcy end up together. Uh, so there you go. I know. Oh, who knew? Um, but of course, it's the journey that makes the story, right? I mean, we, we, we know pretty much from the outset that it's going to end in this lovely um, coming together. But it's the journey that makes it. And it is actually, it's a, it's a journey of pride um, being overcome, of preformed judgments or prejudices. Um, on both sides of the romance. So, um, yeah, the, the truth is, and the truth that it reveals to us is actually we all struggle with pride and we all find it easy to see pride in others, but not in ourselves. You see, Elizabeth Bennet, she sees this pompous, self-righteous prig of a man in Mr. Darcy, and she despises the pride that she sees in him. And yet in doing so, she reveals in herself her very own pride and her arrogance. And Darcy is proud, right? He is um, pretty stuck up. Um, he's been born into it. And uh, and he doesn't see it in himself either. So, so neither of them see their own pride. And I think that is actually the truth that should be universally acknowledged, is that we all have pride, but we don't all see it in our own lives. And we need help seeing it. We need help to see it. And the Word of God, it says, the Word of God is like a mirror, more truly who we are 
And actually, the Word of God will hold up a mirror to, to the pride in our own lives. So as painful as it may be today, we're going to look into the mirror of the Bible, and we're going to see some of the pride being reflected back. It's going to be a bit ugly. I'm sorry. It's going to get ugly. Ugly for you. Ugly for me. It's true. Because how many you know that? You know, you can see yourself in the mirror, and you go, oh, yeah, I look all right. But then you see, like, yourself at a different angle. You go, oh, oh, is that really how I look? <laughs> oh, that's just, it's not quite good. Let's just go back to the first one, thanks. But the Word of God is 360. It sees all of you. It reveals all of you. And so we're going to dive into it now. In Proverbs 16, verse 5, it says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. (laughs) Let's just start with an encouraging word for you. Uh, Really, really, really doesn't like it. (laughs) Uh, This is how God feels about pride. He hates it. Some versions translate uh, that passage as, It is an abomination to the Lord. It's an abomination. There's actually, there's, there's very few sins, I think, that, that God feels quite so strongly about. Like, we're not, we, we, don't, we shouldn't ever rank sins, but often I think in our minds, we don't rank sin as highly as God does, right? I think God sees it as, a, as a, it's detestable to Him. And we kind of think, oh, well, you know, there's worse things than being proud. You know, those adulterers and people who do this bad stuff, you know, they're worse than me in my pride. <laughs> and God is going, I detest what I see in you. That's what the Pharisees were all about. They were like, ah, oh, Jesus, you don't have it together. We're the ones who know all the scripture. We're the ones who yeah. It was pride. It's pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. That's where we get that phrase that we all know. Pride comes before a what? A what? I can't hear you, church. Pride comes before a fall. That's right. The message, I love how the message puts it. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the bigger the fall. The heart proud, but shows favor to the humble. When we're proud, get this, God is on the opposing team. Like, if you're in a round robin tournament, you don't ever want to play the team with God on it. Because you know you're going to lose every time. He's got, it's stacked with Jesus. And it's just like gonna, he's going to beat you every time. And yet, when we are proud, we're essentially saying, God, you're on the opposite team. And we're not, it's not Satan who's opposing us. It's God. That's a scary thought. When we're proud, our opposition isn't the devil. It's God himself. Many theologians actually agree that pride is the root of all sin. Because pride is how the devil became the devil. You see, the devil was an angel who thought in his pride, ah, God's not that big. He's not that good. I could, I could do what he's doing. I could be even greater. And in his pride, he came up against God, and that led to his downfall. You see, pride will destroy your life. It's not something you can manage. Like I think it's, sometimes we think, oh, I've just got a little bit of pride in my life. I need to sort that out. I should, I should sort, you know. No, you, you can't manage your pride. It's not like you can go on a diet, oh, I just give up a bit of sugar, uh, or just give up a bit of pride. But I've actually done pretty well in my life, so I'm allowed to have a little bit of pride. No, it's not how it works. You've got to root it out completely. Because when pride is present, 
then humility is absent. And it's either one or the other. You can't have a little bit of both. You're either proud or you're humble. There's no Mr. in between. I want to give you I want to give you two simple definitions. Pride is simply independence from God. Pride is independence from God. That we somehow know better than God, that we've worked it out. And it's actually especially dangerous for those who've been Christians for a while. Because we kind of think, oh, I've learned this Christian thing. I can do it. I know how it goes. And our reliance on God just kind of begins to dwindle. My second definition is that if pride is simply independence from God, humility is simply agreeing with God. Humility is simply agreeing with God, knowing that, yeah, he knows better for my life, for everything. And here's where we get a bit confused about pride and humility. Because we sometimes think that, that humility is, is you know, just about thinking we're a worm and that we're nothing. Uh, and that's not true. See, humility is not thinking less. less. Let me say that again, and you can write that down because it is good. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. See, the truth of the matter is that we are all masterpieces. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So if God's called you to do significant things, if God's made you a masterpiece, then it's humility to simply agree with Him. To go, yeah, I have... I carry the Spirit of God. I can do great things. He's called me to do wonderful things. That's humility. False humility is to think, oh, I'm a worm. I can never do anything. No, no, no. That's actually, that's actually bizarrely, that is pride. It's insecurity that is actually rooted in pride. So to please God, we actually have, a, have the right thinking of ourselves. You know, the Bible says in... in um, Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And to live by faith, we actually have to live by humility. So faith and humility are, are tied together because it's, it's trusting that what God says about us is true. And what is, he says about us is that we are his masterpieces, that we are created for good things in him. So when we don't live in faith, we rely on our own strength on our own resources, which is why it's impossible to replace God without faith because we're trying to do it ourselves. And God's like, if you don't need me, well, that's not pleasing to me. I, I, I want relationship. I need you to need me for us to be working together. And too often I think we slip into that, that, that proud place of, oh, I don't need you, God. I've got this. I've got this. But no, our lives need to be a faith adventure. And for them to be an adventure of faith, we need to approach it with that, that degree of humility that says, God, I need your help. If we're not living a faith adventure, can I suggest that perhaps it's because we're too proud? We're too proud to step out in faith because we're worried if we will make a mistake. We're worried uh, uh, about you know, what others will think if we put ourselves out there. If true humility, uh, sorry, if if true humility is thinking of ourselves less, then true pride is actually just thinking more about 
ourselves. It's thinking too much about ourselves. And I think that's it. Often if we're, we're absorbed, I think that's actually where we're more proud than those people who actually step out and take a risk. It's when we're, oh, I'm not going to do that just in case I get something wrong and someone sees me making a mistake. Oh, oh no. Someone sees you make a mistake. Someone knows that you're not perfect. Surprise, surprise. Guess what? You're not. Nobody is. And I think, I'm sorry, this may sh- shatter a few egos here today, but people who say, oh, oh no, I'm just a shy person, I'm just introverted, I- I'm just a perfectionist, I, I can't do it, I-, I won't try it, that's actually rooted in pride. That's actually pride that is your issue. It's not your personality. No, you're hiding behind that. You're too proud. You don't trust God in the moment to go, actually, you know what? I'm going to take a risk. Yeah, I might make a mistake. That's okay. God is for me. We actually need to get over ourselves and be prepared to fail. I don't say, I'm not saying you should go out there and try and fail, but I think that is often what stops us, that fear of failure. But the far bigger failure in life, of course, is to not try at all. It's to not risk at all. When we're just afraid of getting something wrong. I have, I have a daughter who's like this, um, and it's, it's a hard habit to break. But I know that for her to enjoy life to the full, she has to realize that she's not going to um, win at everything. And she's not, uh, I was teaching her a game of chess, how to play chess the other day. And it was our first ever game. And like, I took her queen or something. And she was like, no, she's in tears and she's getting all upset and she's throwing a tantrum. And I'm like, darling, this is the first game you've ever played. Like, I'm no chess master, but I hope I can beat you <laughs> when the first game you've ever played. Like, I could have, yeah, some of you are thinking, well, why don't you let her win? Well, that's teaching her no there's, there's no lessons. That's not doing her any favors to think that she's going to win the first game she ever plays. Because the more important lesson in life is, is that we need to give something a go and realize that we're not going to get it first time. But actually, when we practice it, we will gain mastery over it. And I'm hopeful that one day she will beat me. But not this day. <laughs> not for a while yet. <laughs> But I think today in, in the West, we're a, we're a risk-averse world, and, and we, we have to kind of control everything. And physical risk, I think, you know, we need health and safety. But sometimes I think in the church, we don't take, we kind of let that filter in to our everyday life, and we don't take risks because we're afraid of failure. And I think actually that's rooted in pride. I think growing up, there were some things I didn't do because I didn't want to make a mistake. I didn't want to get it wrong. And I look back and I think, man, I should have just given that stuff a go. I should have just given it a go. And I, I think as Christians, we have to be those people who just, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a go. Yeah, I might stuff it up. Yeah, I might make a fool of myself. But that's okay. We need to stop thinking about ourselves so much. And we actually have to take a step of faith. Because the thing is, often the opportunity is tied up in that risk. No risk, no reward. And if you're not prepared to step forward in faith, then you often won't see the benefits of that. 
we don't just want to be a people who observe the world changing around us. We want to be change makers. And, and, and to do that, we, we need to step out, knowing that the kingdom of God is in us and working through us and stepping out in faith. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, right? We have him working through us. And the kingdom of God works when we are prepared to risk failure, when we're prepared to risk reputation, when we're prepared to put our own pride on the line. Because until we're prepared to lose our lives, we'll never find them. Here is what the Bible says about it. Matthew 10, 38 and 39. Whoever does not take up their cross, this is Jesus speaking, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. We need to take up our cross. That's such a provocative statement if you think about it. Like we know it as a, as a kind of pithy phrase, oh, take up your cross and follow Jesus. But if you stop and think about it, to take up a cross is to take up the instrument that you're going to die on and carry it to the place that you're going to be killed. Who wants to do that? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll take up my instrument of death. And I'll carry it blindly to where I'm going to die? No, that's just craziness. But that's, that's the risk that Jesus is saying we need to take. Actually, we need to, to walk forward and I'm going to lay it all down. Because there's no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. There's no avoiding the cross. That is the key to our faith. And the power of the gospel is in the cross. Because it's in dying to ourselves that we truly live. That's the mystery of it. And dying to ourselves, that's what that scripture says. Let me read it to you again. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So the kingdom and your pride cannot coexist. Because to take up our cross is to lay down our pride. To take up our crosses, to forsake everything else, forsake out what the world thinks of you, forsake your view of yourself, and just to follow Jesus. And that is what makes it so powerful. That's what makes humility in God so powerful. And that's what makes pride so dangerous because it fights against that. Jesus describes this law at work in us in Matthew 23, 12. He says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In the kingdom of God, it's all topsy-turvy. It's all the wrong way around. The way up is down, and the way down is up. Humility, if you think about it, actually, even in the world's eyes, humility is actually very attractive. It draws people in. It has, but it's because it has grace connected to it. There's actually something incredibly beautiful and attractive in humility, whereas pride is repellent. Pride, whether it's false humility, like I was talking about before, about, oh, no, I just won't do anything because I'm just, you know, introverted or whatever it is. Now, that, that itself is repellent as well, as well as the brash kind of pride where you're telling everyone about how good you are. Uh, you see, but pride isn't always that brash. Pride isn't always that obvious. It's sometimes masked in self-reliance. 
sometimes masked in self-preservation. You know, I've got to do this to get by. Um, so we live cautious rather than convinced. The early church was not at all like this. It wasn't self-preserving at all. They put it all on the line. And they just walked by faith. And they, they realized they couldn't live for themselves. They had to live for others. And, and, and I think many of us today sitting here, we may be like, oh, pride, I'm not, I don't have that much of an issue with it. I don't really, life's good, work's good. I've got money in the bank, life's fine. I don't need to hear about pride. But actually, when we're in that space, often we are self-reliant. And when we're self-reliant, we're proud. So actually, I might, dare I suggest that we all need to hear this message today, myself included. So I want to I just, I want to look at one, one guy in the Bible who we, we love him. We love to hate him. He, 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 he struggled with pride. His name is Peter. I think a lot of us can re- relate to him. Um, and he was because he's just an ordinary guy who really struggled. <laughs> um, and and he's, he's, we see many of our own faults in his life. So if you've got your Bible, Mark 14. Pride really tripped poor Peter up. In Mark 14, starting verse 27, Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. I don't know if they were just following Peter's lead, but Peter's pretty adamant. I'm not going to let you down, Jesus. You can rely on me. I've got this. I've got this. He was pretty sure of himself. And self-assurance, it's often lauded in our society, right? Oh, you know, they're really self-assured, like it's a good trait. It's, it's not actually assurance in God, but in Peter here, it's actually insurance in himself, and it is pride, and it, bring, it leads to his downfall, because we skipped just to the end of the chapter, and Peter is called out by a servant girl, and she says, hey, you were with Jesus, and he's like, no, no, I wasn't. Wasn't me, it was another guy just from Galilee, you know, and he's denying it. And in verse 72, we see immediately the roaster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Poor Peter, he realizes, ah, oh, actually, yeah, no, nah, I stuffed up. <laughs> it was Peter's pride that caused his downfall. Let's pride get in his way. I'll give you another example. In Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day, uh, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You've got to be pretty confident in yourself to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Poor Peter. 
kind of poor Peter, but he's, he's asked. Before this, like earlier in that, that chapter, Peter had recognized who Jesus was. He was Jesus was asking them, who do you say I am? And, Jesus, and Peter gets it right. A plus gold star. He's like, you are the son of God. Son of God. And, and Jesus is like, yes, I am. And, you know, you, you didn't get this revelation yourself. God showed you this, Peter. But Peter thought, no, I got this revelation myself. I'm doing pretty well here. Um, Jesus just, and, and in that moment, he was called Simon, and, and Jesus calls him Peter. He renames him Peter, which means rock. And then just a few verses later, Jesus is calling him Satan. I'm sure Peter's like, can we go back to Peter? Or can we go back to Simon? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Arrogance can come in. Just in a moment. I think many long-time believers fall into this trap because we start to trust our own strength. We trust our own, oh, I got it right that time. I can get it right again this time. Oh, I forgot to pray. <laughs> I forgot to invite God into that. Too often when we don't spend time with Jesus, what we're saying to God is, yeah, I've got this. I'm good. That's why when people go, oh, yeah, yeah, my Bible reading. Oh, yeah, and I don't pray. Yeah, you know, because I've been a Christian for 20 years. Therefore, I don't need to anymore. I don't need to come to church every week because, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time. I, That's where pride sneaks in. That's where we we start to think, oh, I don't need God. And that's where we find, all of a sudden, we start to be opposed by God. Because here's what 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, and then New King James says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. It's when we think we've got it all together that we have to be most careful. (laughs) Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. The series is really just about having a dependence on God. Because pride is living independent from God. It's saying, ah, she I've sorted it out. Humility is having a reliance on God in everything, in business, in marriage, in family, in work, in our parenting, in every area of our lives. It's just saying, Jesus, I, I need help to make my marriage awesome. I need help. In my business, I need help in my workplace. I need help with my parenting. I need help in every area. Because without you, I'm I'm stuffed. (laughs) And here's the thing. At the end of the day, humility is actually our responsibility. Remember what we read just a few verses ago in Matthew 23. It says, whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. Whoever humbles themselves, it's your job. To humble yourself. Otherwise, eventually, we will be humbled by God, but it will be far more painful, right? It's far better to humble yourself than to be humbled by God. 1 Peter 5 says this in 5 and 6. It says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because, here's a verse again, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I love that idea of clothing yourself in humility. It's actually something you put on. Just like, oh, yeah, no, all of you put on clothes this morning. We all need to put on clothes of humility. We have to clothe ourselves in humility. Daily we need to put on that, yeah, that's what we pray. 
first thing in the morning, daily, we're like putting on humility. God, I need your help today. And often it's where we, God will create circumstances where we are humbled. He will humble us. And just because you've been humbled by God doesn't necessarily mean that you are walking in humility. You just need to look to the, the people of Israel to realize that. And in fact, let's look at the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, God took them through the wilderness to humble them to cause them to hunger for him. And here's a key. Where there's humility, there's hunger. Where there's humility before God, we are hungry for him. Sometimes it's easy to come to church with a kind of attitude of, oh, yeah, you know, come on. Show me, impress me, teach me if you can. (laughs) But humility comes with, no, no, I'm hungry. God, feed me. I need something of you in this moment. Can I invite keys up? See, God was, was dealing with the Israelites' pride in that moment. He was putting them in the wilderness so they would learn to be dependent on Him. Sometimes God will do that to you and I. He'll put us in situations where there's no one else that we can rely on except Him. You know, the... The doctors can't help you. Your family can't help you. Your friends can't help you. Everything you've tried, it can't help you. You have to rely on him alone. But for the Israelites, if you read the whole story, (laughs) instead of acknowledging their dependence on God, a whole generation missed out because of their pride. They complained and they moaned and they had to wander in the wilderness until a whole generation had died. See, God humbled them to teach them, but they actually never learnt the lesson. They never humbled themselves. They kept rebelling and complaining and doing their own thing, and they missed out on the favor of God. It was the next generation that actually came into the promised land. I've seen, you know, people be humbled in their world by circumstances or just because of their own dumb decisions. And they come to God humbly in that moment. And and He's so gracious. He offers them grace. He delivers them. But then what often happens is they quickly turn. Often we're like that as well. We're like, God, God, I really need your help. I really need your help. Okay, thanks. You're sorted. Okay, I'm off and I'm living my life again the way I want to. I know. That's like that's like Father Christmas kind of God. You just come to him for the for the good things. Actually, he wants to walk with us every day. And and when we just kind of come to him and get our fix or get our need met and we walk away again, that's just and let pride sneak in and you know, that's no relationship. 
Can you imagine if you treated someone in real life like that? They just, you know, meet your need, selfish and self-serving. No, humility comes to God and says, God, I need your help. Thank you for helping me. And I need, and I want to walk with you every day. And I need your help every day. Let's walk this journey together. You see, humility is actually an ongoing decision of our will to come before Him humbly and say, God, I, I need your help. Ourselves with humility. And it's, it's our hunger that displays our heart. And I wonder, I just want to ask this question. I want to provoke you a little bit with it this morning. How hungry are you? How hungry are you for God? Because it's your hunger that often displays your humility before Him. Could it be that today we're not as hungry as we need to be because pride is in our way? Maybe God's on the back burner. Maybe He's just there when we're in an emergency. But He's not the air we breathe. He's not our all in all. He's not what we desire. I don't say this to condemn you because I know that we're not all in that space all the time. I get that. We're human. But humility is being able to come back to Him and say, yeah, God, God, I need you in this moment. I need you now. I recognize my sin. I recognize my pride. You can stand to your feet. If today we could just spend a moment in humility before God, And just cry out to Him out of our hunger. And say, God, I'm sorry for where I've been proud, where I've tried to fix things myself, where I'm trying to do this by my own strength, where it's become about my own self-reliance, or, or whether it's, you know, it's a false humility and it's about uh, I'm hiding behind this, this fear of actually stepping forward and, and making being whatever it is let's put away that pride this morning and let's come before him in humility and recognize our need for him I don't know the areas of need in your life there will be many in this room today but I know God can touch you in this moment he can bring an answer if you come to him with humility so just in this moment I ask if, if that's you raise your hand just in humility before Him. Don't let pride stop you from coming to Him today. And let's reach out to Him. And I'm going to pray. I believe God is going to move in this space in our hearts. Father, I thank You. That, Lord, when we humbly come to always welcome us with open arms. You meet us in our need. You meet us in our humility. God, we're sorry where we've let pride get in our way, where we've tried to fix things ourselves, where we've tried to, to do it without you. God, we're saying, help us, God. Help us to walk daily. Help us to clothe ourselves daily with humility, to daily come to you and say, help me today. Help me. And Lord, where there are needs, where there are things that we're struggling with, God, we come before you and we say, help us now. Help us in that relationship. Help us in that issue in our own heart. Help us with our finances. Help us with our job. Help us with our family. God, help us. Help us. We're crying out. And Lord, this week, help us to walk in humility. 
Help us to overcome our pride. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good on you. Hey, there's one more group of people I want to pray for, and that's if you've never actually come with humility before Jesus. You see, that's the thing. I guess it's the greatest humbling step that we can take is to recognize our need of a Savior. Recognize we can't come to God any other way. We can't make our own way to God. We have to enter through Jesus. And that takes an act of humility, an act of saying, Jesus, only you can fix me. Only you can help me. I submit myself to you. I want you to be Lord of my life so that I can have a relationship with God, so that I can be made whole, and so that I can have eternity with you. So if there's anyone here, just with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here this morning and you know your life is not right with God, you know that actually you don't have that relationship with Him through Jesus. He's here and He's wanting to, to begin that relationship, but He needs you to come to Him. You humbly and say, God, I'm willing. God, I'm willing to take up my cross and to follow you. Just in this moment, is there anybody who wants to do that? You can raise your hand. I'll see it and you can put it down. Is there anybody who wants to come into relationship with God through his son, Jesus? I'm going to give you a moment. not seeing any hands so you can raise your eyes you can look at me bless you church this week go and watch Pride and Prejudice just for just for a laugh <laughs> just for a bit of fun Bennett's and the Darcy's very much but uh, I, re- I do pray that we can grasp something from this series and God can make us not God can make us we can with God's help make ourselves more humble and we can grow in relationship with